Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. This episode focuses on the theme of Be Curious. Our special guests for this episode are an elementary student named Vance and Dr. Amanda Jansen. Warning, we expect that you have watched Ted Lasso, at least through season two. There will be spoilers ahead and scenes that don't make sense if you don't have some familiarity with the show. If there's one scene that people have seen in this show, I feel like it's the one that inspires today's episode. TL, TL, LT presents a scene from season one, episode eight. Guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day I was driving my little boy to school and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman and it was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work and all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellows that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out. So they judged everything and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because if they were curious, they would have asked questions. So what does, what does be curious, not judgmental mean to us as educators? That be curious. We both think of teaching as problem solving, mm -hmm. right? And understanding the problem is the first step of problem solving, the first phase. And it's it's the phase you're never really done with, right? You're as you're you know you first trying to understand the problem, then um, when you're uh, trying an approach to the problem, you come back to understanding the problem, and then as you're engaged in it, you're still developing your understanding of the problem. I mean. You know, to some extent, you're, you're never done with that understanding. And that curiosity, you know, we love to see it from our, our students. We love to see it from our future teachers. Um, and I, th I think we try to rem remember to engage in it ourselves. Yeah, we hope so. And, and you mentioned uh, the problem solving process. I know we've connected that for ourselves for that, that idea of a teaching learning cycle. So mm -hmm. assessment, evaluation, planning, implementation, instruction, um, and then back to assessment. And I think one of the key ideas for me about being curious is that it's a mindset. So I know that a lot of the, the teachers, both pre-service and in-service, but especially new teachers that we work with, think about assessment as a thing, right? And that, a test, right? Um, and, and it might even be um, a formative assessment, like a ticket out the door, or all of these things can help understand in the way that you were talking about. However, that be curious means that I'm always looking for information, and it's not just at a particular time using a particular tool. Right, and, and it's just fundamental to reaching, you know, we want to be curious about the material, we want to be curious about our learners, you know, knowing who they are better and better only is going to enrich the classroom.
-hmm. It makes me think of, uh, you drew me a, a, a comic to ask which paradigm is it? And one was the idea uh, of a teacher talking and the student trying to make sense of what the teacher was saying. And the other was of the student talking. It's synergistic, right? So the, if the teacher is curious about the learners, the learners are then also going to be curious about, well, you know, what does the teacher mean and what are we supposed to do, right? right. So their curiosity, I mean, I don't can you think of anything that engages curiosity more than somebody else being curious? And that can come across in the questions that we ask. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's important. Asking questions does not necessarily mean that you're curious. I think Trent Krim, the independent is a good example of that, right? Yep. He's a journalist, he's doing his job. He asks lots and lots of questions, but I'm not sure that he's always really curious about it. It seems like so early on, he thinks yeah. the whole thing is a, is a joke, right. is, is a mistake. Is And a lot of the questions he seems to be asking are intended to try to further his, his judgment, right. right? His belief. He has a narrative that he's gonna portray about, portray about the team. One of the things that we talk about with our, with our teachers, that, mm -hmm. you know, what types of questions do we ask in a classroom? Yeah, and, very, and we, you know, we might share frameworks like with categories of questions and, and things like that, but I think for both of us, it starts with, what do you wanna know? Ask about what you wanna know. Right. Don't, don't ask something that you already have the answer to. Right. right. I know what value of X makes this equation true. Right. What I don't know is how are you thinking about um, how are you gonna find it? Right, right. The, the first one feels like it's just being able to know whether or not the student knows what it is. Yeah. The second though, it demonstrates as far as, as my perspective, some real curiosity into the thinking of the students. As we've said, this, this podcast is about teaching like Ted Lasso, the, the show, not just Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a, um, another character that we've mentioned before, Roy Ken, who seems to have embraced this idea of asking questions as well um, and being curious mm -hmm. um, in terms of making a pretty big decision. The TLTLLT players present a scene from Season 2, Episode 12. What do you think, Roy? You should ask them. They're the ones out there actually doing it. Yeah. All right. All right, fellas. Coaches and I have a little debate and want to get y'all's take on it. Should we stick with the false nine or switch it up? So have you experienced anything like that in the classroom? I've been trying to do something similar to that using a tool called Innovator's Compass. And I'll work with individuals or small groups. And it's, again, a series of five questions meant to foster curiosity, but also creativity in terms of finding um, new ways forward. And so, so I've done this with my students. I've invited them in um, and asked them, what do you think? How about you? Um, well, it's the, to some extent, um, even within the scope of a single lesson, um, I had a lesson this week with a college algebra class that um, uh, I've been having trouble with pacing. You know, I bring things in, I think they go too short, they go too long. Um, I don't know how they're gonna go ahead of time. Um, but I'm willing, you know, when they indicate the need to stay with something, 
I'm willing to believe them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, that, and to stay with it and uh, kind of follow it farther and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And it takes some on-the-spot thinking and adjustments, right? Uh, you know, as as well, that's going to change my schedule. That's going to change what's happening in this particular class. I was going to ask them this question, but that's really not what they're thinking about, right? So I've got to come up with new questions to fit the situation. Yeah, I hope I'm using this right. It reminds me of what Deborah Ball has talked about in terms of thinking about teaching as a discretionary space, right? Mm -hmm. A place where we can make decisions. And we ought to make those decisions to move us forward um, to whatever extent we can include the, the, the people who are involved, which again, the, the compass puts people at the center. It's a design thinking tool. Roy has put the players in the center, right? And mm-hmm. asked them and, and they say they can do it. It reminds me a lot of, um, I mean, Haiti's work has, uh, John Haiti's work has had lots and lots of people talking about lots and lots of things. I tend to stop after the second chapter <laughs> because by then he said the most important thing is that Teachers become students of their own teaching, and students have become the teacher. Right. And I think if if that that to me kind of gets at that that idea idea of curiosity. And certainly with future teachers, we talk about that a lot, right? right. That that their expertise in um, uh, teachers' knowledge of mathematics is going to come from listening to their kids. Right. Right, it's hearing all those different ways that kids approach problems mm-hmm. that give them this uh, seemingly encyclopedic knowledge of, oh, you could do this, or you could do that, or you could do this, or you could do that, right? Welcome to Teaching Today. We have a special situation today. Dave is here as a coach. He's here as a teacher. He's brought a couple of clips to watch to the podcast and we're very happy to have him here to give us some uh, insight into assessment. Thanks, it's good to be here. All right, so Dave, what did you bring with you today for us to watch? So this is some video that I use in our first math course for pre-service teachers who want to be elementary teachers and it's part of a, an interview project that they do. and I. I like to do a model for them beforehand because it's really difficult for them to kind of shift their thinking about what it means to be a teacher. I've watched these videos. Are you really teaching here? Well, that's just it, right? So a lot of them come into the profession thinking about teaching as telling. And um, one of the things that we want them immediately, like I said, this is their first class, to start thinking about is teaching is listening. So gathering data first, being curious about kids' thinking. And so that's one of the main reasons why I share this video and several videos, actually, of me doing these interviews. Yeah, so um, I love that, right? So both curiosity, of course, but um, then this kind of underlying message that Teaching is not telling. When those things are used synonymously, it drives me a little bit crazy. All right, so uh, tell us who this learner is. So Vance is a first grader. He's my grandson, and he would um, tell you that he's going to be a paleontologist when he grows up. Do you have like a sequence of questions planned that you're going to ask him? So this task comes from oh Clements and Sarama, and it's a tricky triangles task, and it asks 
the, the learner to identify gives 10 shapes and asks the uh, learner to identify which of those shapes are triangles and which of those shapes aren't. I uh, added a question at the very beginning. I'm just curious about what his definition of what a triangle is. So oh, we start out with that. So the focus really is um, trying to determine, uh, I think it's like 2GA1, about what makes something what is and isn't a triangle. So even though he's a first grader, we're looking at a second grade standard. All right, so uh, let's watch a bit of the video. Okay. So Vance, tell me, what's a triangle? It's a shape with three sides. Interesting. Can um, you look at this sheet of paper? And you can, can you tell me which of those are triangles and which ones aren't triangles? So were you planning on having them eating while you were teaching? No, so this is one of the things, right? You take advantage of opportunities. So um, we'd been playing most of the day and he was ready to take a break. And this was the time where he wanted to do the interview as well. What is he looking at here? He's looking at the sheet of paper with the 10 shapes. All of them have triangular-ish <laughs> shapes to them? Is that, yeah. is that fair to say? All right. So um, he's going to be pointing these shapes saying they are or are not a triangle? Yes. But he already gave you the definition. Right. So why aren't you happy just with that? So what we know about a lot of students is that they memorize mathematics and they often memorize without a real conceptual understanding about what goes into that definition. And so I, I don't want to be just reliant on uh, using that data point to, to understand where he's at. So I'm curious about where he's at and I need to gather a little bit more. So even though you have an answer you're pretty happy with, that, that doesn't really tell you what he's thinking. Exactly. It doesn't tell me how he would apply it, right? So he said it's mm -hmm. a shape with, uh, with three sides, so what does that mean to him? Right. So we might not think about that as ambiguous. Right. But you never know. Right. This is a triangle. Okay. What's he pointing to there? So that's the first one. So it's a, it is a triangle. Okay. Okay. This, I don't know. Okay. Which is a triangle, but he'll explain a little bit later why he doesn't know. Okay. This is a triangle. Okay. Which is a triangle. This, I think, is a triangle. Which is okay. not a triangle. Wait, this is a triangle. Which is not a triangle. And this is a triangle. Which is okay. not a triangle. And you think the other ones aren't mm -hmm. a triangle? So you said you didn't know about that one. Why do you think that one might not be a triangle? It's kind of thin. I've never seen a triangle like that before. Oh, interesting. So is that the same thing with this one right here? Okay, wait a second. So. He's already told you why he's not sure about this triangle. Mm -hmm. And um, what, what's the connection you're trying to make with that question? So it's really about, he used some language that comes straight out of Van Healy, right? That it looks, I've never seen a triangle mm -hmm. that looks like this. And so I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm curious about how he's applying his conceptual understanding of what a triangle is and is he applying it to other shapes? And right. so th this, this is also a triangle, but it's also a thin, skinny, you know, obtuse scaling triangle, and it's not one that he typically would have seen as a first grader. Okay. Yep. Interesting. So when you said this is a triangle, mm -hmm. what makes that a triangle? Which one are you pointing at there? So it's actually a quadrilateral, So, but it, again, looks triangular-ish because there's only a little piece of an angle cut off, and, um, but it looks like the, 
the typical um, equilateral triangle that they see so many of when. So either the far side is too small to count or it's a broken triangle or? Yeah, well, it's, it's just too small to, to okay. count, yeah. And he just motioned with his hand there to, that it had three sides. Right. But the fourth one doesn't count as a side to him. To him, right. Because right. conceptually, it looks like a triangle. Okay. I don't know about this one or this one. Which one and which one? This one and this one. What are the two he's pointing at there? So the, the top one is uh, an open shape. It's not closed, but again, has a triangle shape. And then mm. the other is a kite that, again, looks like a triangle, but has uh, a fourth side. Gotcha. Mm. Why, why, why might that be? Why might that not be a triangle? Kind of like wide slanted. Mm. The uh, triangle that was open. What was the reason he gave? For it, again, it was based on looks, right? right? He hadn't seen a triangle that looked like that. But it wasn't even the open part. He no, said no, he refers exactly. to the slant. Right, right. Okay. So, so it's not. So the the connected sides is not part of the conception, at least, at least not what he's demonstrating right. here. Okay. And now he's moving on to talk about the kite? Right. Okay. Because it looks more like a rhombus to me. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Hold on. <laughs> You're just going to let him say it looks like a rhombus? Sure. It's not, I'm, so the, uh, as an assessment, this is not a... A, a chance or an opportunity to fix his thinking. It's it's a, an opportunity for me to understand his thinking. I didn't challenge him on any of his other ones. I'm just gathering some information here. And then later I can use that information to, to maybe give some examples of these are triangles or these aren't triangles. Um, but, but at this point, I, I just want some information. Okay. So how about number 10? Do you think number 10 is a triangle? Or okay, not? so what's up with number 10 that you're pointing so, to? So number 10 is a triangle shape that we would expect him to say yes to if we're based on looks, but its sides are rounded. Gotcha. So at this point, are you thinking he's going to say, yes, that's a triangle? Yes, or yes. Do you do a lot of predicting, like what you think kids are going to say to your question? Predicting, anticipating, um, you want to be prepared, but you also want to be able to adjust. Okay. Good. And what did you say a triangle is? How did you describe a triangle? A shape with three sides. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay. Now, you didn't ask him about every triangle. No, I didn't. I didn't. I felt like there had been enough consistency. I don't, I don't need to practice like false curiosity and ask about everyone, right? Okay. This um, interview, it took less than two minutes. And one of the things I want to demonstrate to the pre-service teachers is that these can be done in a reasonable amount of time with a reasonable amount of materials. And so I don't want to belabor any of those points by going on and on and, and checking in with each one of those. I'd gotten enough information at this point that I felt I knew where Vance was in his understanding of triangles. Okay. Now the one thing I think people, uh, just from my own experience with pre-service teachers, is they see this video and think, wow, that kid is good at sharing his thinking. Um, there's something special about this kid. Well, there is. He's my grandson. Naturally. <laughs> What I try to encourage is them to give it a try. And they, they've all done this, right? Mm -hmm. And they share their, their findings uh, in a professional learning community at the end of the, the course. And um, 
they all find that they can do this. It helps if they do the interview with a student that they, or a learner that they've already built rapport with. Yeah. Um, they get a lot more information that way. Well, uh, like, like any aspect of teaching, right? Exactly. The relationship is the foundation. Relationship is important. Uh, any last message you want to give teachers? Be curious and build rapport. So there's one more interview, and um, we can go out on that. It's, okay. It's the interview where I asked him our Ted Lasso question. Vance, what's your favorite movie and why? My favorite movie is Jurassic World Dominion because of all the adventure, and I like that all the characters from the original Jurassic Park well, the remaining ones, and the ones from the Jurassic World uh, are all filmed together, and some new characters. And I like the new dinosaurs. All right. Well, Dave, thank you so much for bringing these. I love listening to uh, Learner's Reasoning and uh, getting a chance to hear what was going on in your head while we were watching was a special treat. So thanks very much. Right, and it's not, I don't think we're proposing that this is some kind of magic bullet, right? So, but it's the, it's the start, right? It's the start of real relationships. It's the start of real learning. It's the start um, in terms of, from that information, you have the opportunity for creativity. Right. That's one of the things that always impresses me most about your use of uh, Innovator's Compass, right? Is how, uh, by taking the time to do that empathy work, Right, you have so many more possibilities than what you were originally bringing in to the problem. And having developed that relationship, I, I, right. I'm convinced that some of what you know Ted does with the curiosity is he's also building relationships. Right. Um, this theme was suggested to us by one of the Teaching Like Ted Lasso community members. Oh, who suggested uh, Dr. Amanda Jensen. She's at University of Delaware, and she'll actually be joining us to talk a little bit about this idea of be curious, not judgmental. Yeah, so she's famous, justifiably, so I feel like in math circles for rough draft math. Right, And right. this fits just, it makes sense that she'd bring it up, right? Yeah. Because this is square in her bailiwick. Yeah. So, so welcome. Um, Mandy, you uh, you suggested this theme. Why? Well, I love that you and John are reflecting on Ted Lasso and what inspires us as teachers. And, you know, the first thing I thought of, right, is the classic scene with the darts and be curious, not judgmental is like one of my main takeaways from that show. And I know it's something a lot of people think about. But it also just really resonates with me and how I try to orient myself as a teacher and a researcher. So I thought it was a topic that had a lot of, I don't know, resonance for a lot of us. So with the idea of be curious, not judgmental, we wanted to start out with a curious question. So in season two, we find out that Sam's favorite uh, movie is Ratatouille, which confession I had never watched before. And so I anyone can cook. <laughs> exactly i love that so right right away i'm like this, rat this in the hat fits well right anyone can cook anyone can read anyone can write and particularly anyone can math exactly yes. in your my setting we you know being able to to have that mindset that anyone can math so what uh what's your favorite movie and why 
I really like this movie called Stranger Than Fiction. It's a 2006 movie. Will Ferrell is the main character in it. And he plays an IRS auditor and he realizes he's hearing narration in his head. And he realizes that he's the main character in a book that's being written right now. Oh, wow. And so he spends the film trying to find out if his life is supposed to be a comedy or a tragedy. And now we're all trying to figure out about our own lives at some level. And, and there's an actual author played by Emma Thompson, who's writing this story about Harold Crick, who's Will Ferrell. And she doesn't know that he's actually alive. And she faces writer's block. And so you, and Harold Crick is very interested in math and in numbers. So I feel like you get the writer side of me with the Emma Thompson character. You get the mathy side with the Will Ferrell character. And it's a very existential, it's a very creative story. And yeah, I like it. It sounds like, well, and it fits with uh, your idea of writing too, right? That's kind of great. So, so you wrote the book, Rough Draft Math. So how do you think uh, this idea of being curious relates to your work? Yep. So the way I think about um, as teachers and as researchers and orienting to people's thinking, I think that we can learn from people's ideas at any stage and that everybody's ideas have something that we can learn from in general, right? So early in my career, I was doing research on students' experiences in math classrooms to try to understand motivation from the kids perspectives Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of us at one point as teachers we think about kids being motivated or not and it's usually more like are we doing are they doing what we want them to do (laughs) but people are motivated to do all kinds of things and so I was trying to understand motivation from a kid's perspective like sometimes when kids aren't doing the things we hope we would do it's it's to be motivated to be self-protective right we want to um we're, we're afraid that we're wrong and we don't want to show people. So that's a motivation. You're protecting your, your sense of competence maybe. And so I wanted to really, I want to really create a space where people can feel safe to share where they're not sure, but also, so we're just oriented toward each other. Like whatever is on your mind, I believe I can learn from it. And so I feel like the curiosity is related to rough drafts because I'm curious about what you think, no matter what, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about how, when we interact with each other, we can understand something differently than if we hadn't interacted before. So as teachers, just constantly eliciting what people understand for the idea of we're trying to build new knowledge as a community. And I think that when people feel like they're truly trying to be understood, like we're trying to understand each other, you feel like, everybody's trying to learn and grow toward a larger understanding. And it's less about who's right and who's wrong because we're all trying to create new ideas, like a new strategy or a new representation or a different way to explain why something is true. So, I mean, I come down to it. Like we want to be understood more than we want to be changed a lot of the time. And teachers have things to learn from their students. So I think rough drafting really creates that space where, students are invited to express and then our role changes as trying to listen and learn from each other. I love that thinking. That's a nice. Yeah. And, and just the idea of if you and I hadn't had this conversation, an understanding that we would build in community wouldn't have existed. Right. Mm -hmm. So we need each other to understand more than we would have understood 
it on our own or without the opportunity to interact with each other. So it's like, look for the gems, look for the insights, look for the brilliance in what somebody has to offer, because even your brainstormed idea is going to have something interesting to build on. And, and math classrooms would feel differently if people oriented themselves to each other that way. That rough draft talk or that building of community, we, we need to have people to bounce ideas off of. Yeah, I mean, just trying to represent our thinking in any way, whether it's like trying to draw a picture to show the relationships that we're seeing or or to put our thinking in words that make sense to us, just that activity helps our understanding advance. So we need that space of drafting and revising to help our ideas grow. But then people are going to notice something, oh, that relates to something else I'm thinking. As you really try to understand somebody, you might have a way to build upon it. So as a community, we can keep growing together and revising too. What are some, some ways that you think about when, um, when teachers are effectively being curious in their classrooms? I've really been drawn to how you can focus more on assessments that connect to learning over performance. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of different ways that people do this from standards-based grading to um, student self-assessment and ungrading. And I've really been drawn to more of student self-assessment, but I've been so curious, how does this work in a math class? And there's a teacher that I've learned a lot from in Delaware, and her name is Denise McCunney, and she teaches seventh grade. And she's been, um, she said, oh, I have to have one grade in a grade book a week, but I'm we're going to do this with self-assessment. She has students, uh, she gives them the learning targets and she gives them criteria for how they would grade themselves and they grade themselves. And then they take an assessment to see, you know, to check their understanding. And she gives them qualitative feedback on that assessment. And then they revise that assessment and then they revisit their self-assessment. And it's by again, like topics, standards, and then they can give evidence from their work about how their thinking has grown and changed. And so she conferences with them and talks with them and she's giving them a lot of written feedback, but the students are making claims about their own understanding. And you know, for a seventh grade teacher to do this with so many kids is a lot of work with all of that feedback, but it's pretty impressive when the orientation's changing to what do I understand? And when she's focusing on qualitative feedback to the students rather than points, she can focus on the nature of their understanding. And it's it really does shift, I think, the perspective toward what grade do I have versus what do I understand? You mentioned ungrading, and I know you do some of that in your own class. So what, how does that look in your class? Yeah, so I thought, okay, if Denise is doing this with seventh grade, I need to think about this with college students. So one of the classes I teach, and you teach a class similar to this, right? It's a pedagogical methods class for future teachers. And I I learned from um, other colleagues in the Association of Math Teacher Educators, there was a workshop one year about this kind of work. And we set big ideas for the class. Here are the aspects I want you to wrestle with, like, what is um, what does it mean to pose purposeful questions to your students? Or how do we think about engaging students in tasks that elicit reasoning or a range of different ideas? And we set forth some ideas and then everything you do during the semester is an artifact of your thinking, mm. whether it's you know a reflection on a reading or a field placement assignment where you're understanding students thinking, you're getting different artifacts of your thinking all semester and you're tracking it. 
And then at midterm, at the end of the semester, they write a progress letter. They choose a couple of the big ideas and they articulate a claim. Here's what I used to think and here's what I think now. And then they describe how their thinking changed. And then they bring in evidence from the class to show the tracking of their thinking over time. And they interpret that evidence to say, here's how I know that my thinking has grown and changed. And here's evidence of that. And then um, they do that for a couple of the different ideas. Then we conference and talk about it. And then there's a rubric with grading, like um, how much of your idea has grown and what level of mastery are you at? Like if you can teach other people about it versus you could just restate it, that's a different level of understanding. And if you have lots of different evidence for your growth versus not as much evidence. And then we conference. I'm about to have conferences next week for midterms. Mm -hmm. And they share um, how they would grade themselves. And it's changed a lot for me to do that because it used to be conversations with the students about whether they can get a point back right on the rubric and now it's more like how they're making sense out of teaching and how they're thinking about the ideas and it turns into a dialogue and it's less transactional about grades mm -hmm. and that's been much more enjoyable we're more in a partnership of trying to understand each other and not in about a negotiation of half a point I love the way, I mean, you give me goosebumps as I think about what you've been doing because you've got your students curious about their own thinking. 100%. And they're noticing things that I wouldn't have noticed. So we create, you know, context for learning, like different experiences, activities, um, texts that we would have them read. And we think, oh, they're probably going to get this and this out of that activity. Sometimes they get something completely not what I would have predicted. And it's amazing. So I actually get to learn from them. What do they notice? What are they learning? What are they picking up? And I'm not trying to fit them into my rubric box, right? Because there's a tight relationship between evaluating and then promoting compliance. My rubrics were often like, did you do the things I wanted you to do? And when I take the rubric out, or I, it moves away from compliance, according to what I'm thinking you could get and it opens everything up they can learn things I wouldn't have predicted and then I'm learning more I didn't know that connection was possible I didn't realize that you could learn this idea and so they're curious about their own learning but I'm deeply curious too it's a surprise to me like I did not know you could make that connection I learned as well mm -hmm. so it's been I think really enjoyable in that way for my own learning yeah. We talk about this difference between, and it's that same idea of rubrics that sort and rubrics that support, right? And too often, again, yeah. that judgmental piece was always about sorting where you fit. Um, a few years ago, someone said something to me about, well, if you're doing rough drafts and revising, you need to make sure your assessment structure also communicates that value. So what does that imply? Um, maybe it implies letting people revise, but maybe there's some larger structure that really promotes growth. How do our assessments allow the students to demonstrate growth over time? And how do the assessments allow the students to celebrate what they're most excited about learning? Right. And again, I, I love this idea that they, they have this opportunity to be curious about their own thinking. Yeah. So I think 
that I would just like to give credit to Frances Harper at the University of Tennessee. She's someone I really modeled some of my ungrading work after and lots of folks have been doing interesting work like this. I feel like I'm a follower and not a pioneer, but I love that people have shared with me the great work they've done. What have you seen as, or what have you heard from teachers as being some of the, the barriers um, to being curious about students thinking? Yeah. So I'm sure you've heard a lot of the same things that I've heard and felt in our own work, right? People say, oh, who has time, I've got this pacing guide and I've got to get through it. And I've thought about that a lot because I have some of the same pressures. I want to support teachers to learn certain amount of content, but how do we do that? But one thing I've thought about with that a lot is you take the time now or you take the time later. <laughs> so if we don't give students a chance to be curious about math and teachers letting students like really wrestling with students thinking and having students revise and things, they often have to reteach it later. So spending time really wrestling with people's thinking, you're going deeper. And so I'm thinking maybe you're doing less reteaching later. So that's one of the things I've thought about. Mm -hmm. How about you? If there's not enough time, I need to assess, I need to be curious about where my students are. So I'm not wasting time covering things that either are outside their zone of proximal development or are in their pro zone of actual development, right? Though that's a waste of time for me. So it feels like it's necessary to be curious so that I can better attend to where we want to put our our time, our valuable time and effort. And I think that students will see you modeling that curiosity, right? And it becomes a bit infectious. They can tell you're trying to understand them and hopefully they try to understand each other, but also be curious about math. And that's one thing I think about is what can we do to help um, people be truly curious about math? And I see that happening in schools a lot when they're doing things like, you know, like a three reads launch where you take the question off of the problem and they just read the situation like a story problem and what's what's happening in this situation and what are the kinds of quantities, but what questions can we ask and answer now about this situation? And the students will usually come up with the question in the story problem, but then more questions to other questions they could ask and answer. And then they end up exploring more about the math than they would have but then they're authoring the question. They're curious about the mathematics themselves. And so things that we can do to, to help um, students be curious about math is something else I think about. And I think this notion of having the students author and create the mathematical question, I think goes a long way in generating um, more connection with the math mm -hmm. and really understanding the math structures because they had to think about what question they could answer themselves or explore. Yeah, it reminds me, uh, Ewan McIntosh from uh, Scotland has a really interesting TED talk about this idea of we need more problem finders, not just problem solvers. Yes. And, uh, yeah, what yeah, you're suggesting. Whose questions are we exploring in math class, right? How often are they the students' questions? Right. I think the other thing, and this might go along with, with the timing piece, uh, that I hear when we talk about changing the way that we we assess is just the number of students that, especially some of our uh, 
middle school and high school colleagues have to deal with, you know, and how do you, how do you be curious about 150, 200 students? Yeah, I, that's real, right? I mean, I taught middle school, I get it. And I think that fortunately, you're with them for a long period of time, at least a semester in some cases, unless they're moving. And I like to say, well, if you gradually get to know different students in different ways, then the whole class would benefit. So if you target your instruction to different individual students needs, you've gotten to know really well, it's probably going to help more people in that room. And as the year goes on, you can get to know more and more people, but it's a lot. The, the key is to find, for me, find those little steps. Find those openings. I use yeah. um, the name tags that Sarah Vanderwerf talks about, hmm. where students will write something to you every day and you write back. And I've been doing them way more than just the first few days of the semester. And now I know that this weekend, one of my students has an acapella concert and I'm excited to go to that. And another student is telling me about how the University of Delaware marching band has changed their show, should come to the next show. And I'm one of my students in soccer. So you just are also able to build relationships that way when you're curious about their mathematical thinking, but also curious about who they are as people. And then the classroom community is better because everyone is getting to know each other in different ways. But yeah, I think getting students to write to you is another way in addition to interviewing. And then you have things to talk about as they're coming into class, right? Because you had just read their name tag about things that are happening in their lives. And... So you've given us lots to think about, Mandy. Are there other resources that we should be on the lookout for? Um, things that, as as you're thinking about, that might help K-12 teachers to um, be curious? Well, when I think about in the research space, my mentor, Jack Smith, who just retired from Michigan State, has this really beautiful article called Misconceptions Reconceived, how we should look at people's thinking, not in terms of misconceptions, but everybody has conceptions. And what if we were oriented towards not trying to distinguish misconceptions, but just see the conceptions in everyone's thinking. So that article is in the Journal of the Learning Sciences. But I think the you know, the idea itself has a lot that you can build off of and wrestle with too. Switching from conceptions or misconceptions just to conceptions. And then looking at different ways of launching a task where the students get to pose the questions like in three act math tasks, students pose the question about what's happening or the three reads launch, something like that. I think for teaching, doing things where students author the question and be curious. Those are things I think about. Well, Mandy, we appreciate um, you and the time that you've taken to to be here with us and be part of the the Ted Lasso community, especially um, uh, suggesting this uh, this topic. It's been been fun to uh, sort of create this uh, this space together today with you. It's always good to see you, Dave. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, when we were talking about this, I was reminded of. Um, uh, one sabbatical I was in working with elementary teachers and um, this kid who was just lovely and always a delight to be around. One day was just having a meltdown and it um, uh, resulted in them running from the classroom and uh, I was much fleeter of foot then so so uh, uh, my co-teachers sent me running after them and um, 
uh, you know, don't you don't touch them, <laughs> right? So trying to keep pace and then kind of eventually make a space and talking to the student, it, it really it just broke my heart because of course there there was a reason for why today was especially a hard day for them. It was their birthday and um, they had just become homeless mm -hmm. and they literally did not know where their mother was, right? Was she gonna be able to pick them up after school? Um, uh, you know, what was gonna happen then, right? And, and there were things more important um, than math and tech class that that kid was thinking about that day. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that, that story is so powerful because it, it, it demonstrates the need for us to be curious. You know, our, our students are more than their math scores, they're more than their reading ability, they're more than, you know, the, the last score they got on a, a science lab. Yeah. There's so much more going on, and the more that we can be curious about that, invite them in, I, I just think the better everybody's experience is gonna be. Yeah. For more information from this episode, please check out our show notes. Um, Problem. Uh, I have to ask, it's the theme of the episode. Uh, what's all this about? I'm judgmental. To remind myself to be judgmental. Um, I think you're confusing the order of the way things go in this phrase. Order? You're saying I'm out of order? You're out of order. You're out of order.